0: in church. Good morning. Glad to see you guys. If you would, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Luke chapter 24. We're going to be there for one more week before we move on on from the resurrection. So last week we were in this passage and we're going to be there again today because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is worthy of considering more than just one week, right? Like it, it affects everything. It changes everything. And so we're going to revisit the most important reality that Jesus has a Has made himself alive to us. We can see him through his word. And so today, that's been my prayer. Before we get into this passage, I have several just business items I gotta attend to, okay? First thing is this, it's all gonna be on the screen. If you have a child and you would like to dedicate yourselves to raising them in a way that would honor Christ, we have a parent-child dedication that's happening on May the 9th. That's Mother's Day. Um, You can let us know that you're interested in doing that by info at bellwetherchurch.org. You can email us and, and we'll send you some information about it and let you know What that means. Also, we have a baptism coming up on May the twenty third. If anybody is interested in believer's baptism, we are going to celebrate the reality that Jesus Christ not only died and rose again, but he did he did those things so that our lives could be transformed. And so, if you are being transformed by Christ and you've never made a public profession of that, saying, "Hey, I'm a follower of Him," there was something dead in me that's come to life. If that's true for you, um, we would love for you to um, respond with. Believer's Baptism. That's going to be happening on May the 23rd. You can let us know that you're interested and we'll sit down and have a conversation with you about it. And then also that same day, if you've been around Bellwether for a while... And you're interested in what it means to be a member here. What do our members believe? What do they commit to? Um, who are we expected to be as members of this local body? If you're interested in learning more about those questions, we're going to have a class on May the 23rd that afternoon. You can sign up for it and let us know by emailing us, info at Church. Now, I also have some really important news. This past week, our students um, had our first annual uh, 12-hole Frisbee golf course, and we had a, a excellent winner in Solomon Ash. He had a, a, the highest, uh, the, the best course record so far, 37. Look, if you have a student that's 12 to 18 years old, if you have a student that's 12, there he is. Uh, if you have a student that's 12 to 18 years old, we have an excellent group of uh, volunteers and people that are investing in students. It happens every single Wednesday night from six to 7 thirty over in the White House and they play games they talk about God 's word and they discuss what's going on in each other's lives. We would love for you to be part of that. or if you know a teenager who maybe needs someone else investing in their life, this is a great space for that um, so That's all the business items today. Like I said, we cannot get over Easter. Um, And bottom line, there's a celebration that there is an empty tomb. And not only that, Jesus appeared to his disciples. He presented himself alive. That's how Acts... Uh, describes it. That's what Luke said in the book of Acts. That he presented himself alive to his disciples. And so as we read this account of him presenting himself alive, I have a prayer that we would ask God, Lord, please present yourself to us, the people that are in this room, alive today. Help us to see you as living, as, as here among us, that he's not some distant God, but he's walking with us. He's speaking to us today through his word. And in this specific account, of him presenting himself alive. So would you pray that with me as we read it? And I'm going to read starting in verse 13. Uh, And before I read it, here's what I want you to know. They've been, they have, they've walked through his crucifixion. The disciples have been in hiding through the Sabbath. And now probably some of them the night before, they're like, look, this is terribly disappointing. We've got to move on though. We've got to go about our lives. And so The next morning, the the women have gone to the grave, it's empty, they've come back given that report, and some of them have already made plans to return to Emmaus or to go to Emmaus, a seven-mile journey. And some of you maybe have participated in an Emmaus walk or something that's like a retreat where you experience things, and, and this is where that comes from. This passage is where that experience, that retreat comes from. They are on their way away from all of the people who've been disciples. They're walking away from all that they've experienced in sadness and despair and disappointment. And as they're walking, Jesus shows up among them. Let's read this account together, starting in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And I just imagine a bit of a smirk on his face as Jesus asked them that question. What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel, yes. And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they'd even seen a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all of the scriptures all the the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known, known to them in the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Would you guys join me in praying? Father, we believe these to be your words. Inspired, true stories about what happened when these disciples saw you on the road, when you unveiled their eyes to see you and recognize you. And today, God, I pray that in this proclamation of these words, in the necessity of the cross, in the glorious nature of what you've accomplished for us in your suffering and in your resurrection, I pray that you would bring our eyes to seeing today. That we would see you not only as this historical one who taught and did mighty deeds, but one who lives among us and continues to make our hearts burn for the things that are true. And I pray that today that you would awaken us, that you would open our eyes to see, and that we would respond with joy with this great message that you are indeed alive. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a few observations from this passage, observations that any one of you could make if you were just reading through it. And so I want to start by just observing that as they were walking, Jesus drew near to them. He he draws near to them. While they're on their journey of about seven miles, he comes near to them and begins to to observe the fact that they're having a conversation. They're discussing things. And maybe he listened for a while before he asked the question, what are you guys talking about? What's this conversation? Because in the midst of their conversation, they're talking about him. Jesus was the content of their conversation. He was the topic even before they realized that he was present with them. They were talking about all the events surrounding his trial, his death, the unbelievable report that his body was gone when the women went to visit there, the unbelievable report that they had seen a vision of angels. And in all of these things, all the things that were being said and remembered and teased out, They didn't realize that Jesus suddenly had come among them while he was the topic of their conversation. Now, listen, before I move on to the from this, the reality that Jesus drew near to them in the content of them just discussing things is not to be lost on us. The content of what they were talking about was all about Jesus. Look, I love conversations, I love discussions. I love talking about theological things. I love teasing them out and wondering what in the world is God doing. I love talking about culture and thinking, what is Jesus doing? But there's something unique that happens here because they go from talking about him to him drawing near to the very conversation. That kind of thing happens all the time. I don't know if you've ever experienced this where you're talking about the things of God, but suddenly God shows up in the midst of it, and suddenly your understanding goes from about to... Who is this God? He's here among us. Jesus shows up and asks them, hey, what are you guys talking about? And their immediate response is stillness and sadness. They're walking for seven miles, and suddenly they stop in their tracks. And they pause. I don't know how f- for how long, waiting, looking at him, thinking, how could you possibly not have heard what is going on behind us? How did you miss out on this story? And then suddenly, in the midst of their sadness, Cleopas speaks up, first to speak. Are you the only person who doesn't know? Are you the only one who hasn't heard? Imagine him replaying those words after he realized it was Jesus he was talking to. <laughs> Imagine as he went back over his conversation, he was like, look, how, how could you possibly not have heard? But they're sad in the midst of it, and their response is, how could you not have heard? And then they begin to describe who Jesus was, how he had revealed himself as a prophet, verse 19. A prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. He wasn't just a teacher. We've witnessed things that could not possibly be explained. And how in the world do you explain to this man, asking them what have hap- what's happened? Three years of earthly ministry where Jesus has not only been teaching them things, but he's been doing these miraculous signs and miracles. And so when he asked them, what are you talking about? Where could they even begin? How do they start to explain who Jesus was? You guys ever been there where somebody asks you a question, and you're like, look, there is there is no possible way for me to sum it up for you, okay? There is no way for me to go back and rewind and tell you my story of experiencing the living Christ. There's no way for me to explain to you all the mighty things that he's done. All the ways that he showed off his power and might. All the ways that he showed off his wisdom. But they had to try. So they sum it up and say, this is a prophet. He was mighty in deed and in word before God and all the people. So everyone who saw this man recognized that there was something special about him. He was not just a teacher. In fact, then they show up with their disappointment. They say, look, we, he's not just the topic of our conversation. He was the object of our hope. He was the one that we were hoping would redeem all of Israel. And the only way that you can know that Jesus was the, the object of their hope is that you see that he's also the subject of their disappointment. Verse 21, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these happened these things have happened we had hoped he was the reason for their hope the reason that they're sad right now is because they had hoped something dramatically different was going to happen with the outcome of this mighty man this prophet the thing that we hoped would happen has completely been dashed it's become impossible you ever been there where the thing that you absolutely were hoping on it becomes impossible and you're like okay that road is completely blocked and there's no possible way and and now they begin to explain to Jesus that he the man standing in front of them is the reason for their sadness and disappointment we had hoped and now are disappointed we had thought and now we're confused we thought that we were going to be redeemed by this man and now he's dead Their hope was in Jesus that he would redeem Israel, and he certainly did with all the things they were talking about, but they didn't understand it, and they couldn't see it. Not because he hadn't accomplished it, but because they couldn't understand how he had accomplished it. Now, before I move on with this, I just want to ask you, how many times have you grappled in disappointment with what God was doing and wondered, how are you ever going to accomplish the things that you've promised to me? Not only that, how are you going to show off your goodness in this? Maybe you're walking through something right now where you feel like there is no possible way for God to be made known in this. I cannot see a way for him to provide. I cannot see a way for him to break through. I cannot see any hopeful solution to the problem that sits in front of me. And that's exactly where these men were as they walked along the road and Jesus shows up and asks them about their disappointment. He draws near not only to their conversation about him, but to their disappointment with him. He sees their disappointment for what it really is. He sees their, but we had hoped that he would do this and he draws near to it. He gets closer and closer. How many times have you in the midst of disappointment recognized that Jesus is drawing near right in the middle of it? And wondered, did I place my hope in the wrong thing? Was this the wrong source? And here, here's, the, here's the potential confusion in this. There's so many places that are inviting you to place your hope in institutions, in family members, in employers, in the government, in things around you. There's people that are saying, you can place your hope in me. And they all will lead to disappointment. And sometimes you can place your hope in God and you might feel disappointed. You might think, hey, this is not what I'd hoped you would, this is not how I hoped you would solve this problem. But in the middle of that disappointment, if your hope is truly in God, in the midst of that disappointment, God can sometimes show up and reveal to you, hey, the thing that you were hoping for, I'm still in the middle of it. I'm still working redemption. I'm still working reconciliation. You just don't understand how I'm working. You do not see it yet. And that's what Jesus does. He draws near to their conversation, to their disappointment, to their hope. And for everyone in this room that's wrestling with disappointment today, specifically with God, I want to draw your attention to Jesus as he responds to their hope and their disappointment. He comes close enough to see it in the conversation. He draws near to them in this moment. And in their discussion, focused on what had happened, he gets to the heart of things about why they were... why they were necessary to accomplish his purposes and glory. He listens to their confusion, but he responds with grace and truth. Then he does what is necessary for our eyes to be opened. He opens the scriptures to them, and that's my second observation. In verse twenty-five, he op- he begins <laughs> by confronting them, and then he opens the scriptures. Verse twenty-five, he said to them, "O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." In other words, you do not understand why this was necessary. You cannot comprehend all the things that you've studied, all the stories that you're familiar with. They were all pointing to me. Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself, now, can you imagine? I just wish I could have been present for this conversation. Like all the questions that I have about how in the world does this story point to you, Jesus? How does it point to your glory? There's lots of stories that I have questions about in God's word. And I would love to sit down with Jesus and just say, okay, explain it to me, okay? Explain this to me because I would love to see how. But he spent however, whatever portion of this seven miles walking with them opening the scriptures to them. And while he did it, their hearts are beginning to churn inside of them. Their hearts are burning for the things of God. And they're saying, wait, what in the world has happened? And I wanna lay out a few things that he describes to them. First of all, he confronts them, okay? If you, if you want a Jesus that doesn't confront you when you're being foolish, you want a Jesus who doesn't love you because the, the God who loves you will not allow you to go on in foolishness. The people who love you the most, you know what I'm saying? Listen, the people who love you the most are the ones that are willing to come to you and say, this is foolish, okay? <laughs> what you're doing, it's not right. And Jesus begins his explanation of things with this, "Oh, foolish ones. Slow of heart to believe. He begins with confrontation. Don't miss it. Nobody likes being called foolish. Am I right? Nobody likes that. It's not a pleasant experience. But if you're going to be loved, truly loved, it's going to have to happen. And that's what happens. Jesus steps closer to them. And before you see this as some kind of unkind rebuke, where I I hate it when people say, Jesus just slapped me across the face with this. I'm like, look, he is a gentle teacher. He is a gentle teacher. And no matter how foolish he's describing you to be, I want you to know that how he describes himself is gentle and lowly in heart. He describes himself that way when he invites you to take his yoke upon you and learn from him. He's saying, this is what I'm like. And so if Jesus as teacher looks like the most harsh teacher you've ever experienced, you need to get to know him because he's gentle and lowly. And sometimes in his gentleness, he comes to you and says, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe. Look, are you dense? Are you slow? But he says it with kindness. (laughs) The people who love you the most can say the most, they can say the most honest things to you because you know they're committed to your joy in the future. They want you to not miss out on the good things. And so he opens the scriptures to them, and he doesn't just call them foolish. He says, you're slow of heart to believe, and then he doesn't confront them alone. That'd be cruel, wouldn't it? If people just went around confronting people and saying, you're being foolish. He doesn't just confront them. He corrects them and says, let me help you to understand what's going on. And he begins to explain it he corrects them and he says look i understand you're disappointed because you lack understanding okay the reason that you had hoped and now you think that you can't hope that anymore that jesus would redeem israel is because you do not understanding, you do not understand that that's exactly what i've accomplished and then he begins to correct them in two ways he says look this is the necessity of my suffering And this is what it was required to enter my glory. Two parts. First, the necessity of suffering. He explains throughout the scriptures. And I can just imagine some of the things he must have explained to them. Can you imagine walking along the the road with Jesus and opens up their minds and his word to them? He must have explained that the the promise that was laden there in the curse. That one day this serpent's head would be bruised by the heel. He must have explained to them that that was pointing to the day when Christ would die. He must have explained how Abraham's seed would become a blessing to the entire world and to all the nations of the world, and that that had to become reality through Jesus Christ. Can you imagine them looking on him and thinking, oh yeah, I remember when he said that. Or how Abraham's faith had made him righteous before God. Remember that in Genesis? That he believed God and somehow God reckoned it to him as righteousness. How in the world could that be true? And now he's explaining these things. Look, this is why it was a necessity for me to die. Don't you wish you could have been there as he explained the wandering in the wilderness and how the promise of being delivered from Egypt was a reflection of this spiritual deliverance that Christ was offering to everyone who would believe. He's explaining all of those books of the law and Moses, and he's saying, look, every single one of these places, all of the stories, all of the ones, all of those stories of deliverance, it was all pointing to one thing, to my arrival, to my accomplishment, to what I've, I've done in my death, and the glory that I've displayed. And so maybe they remembered that confrontation as they're sitting there listening to Jesus with the Pharisees. You guys remember this? Pharisees are searching the scriptures, and he says, look, you look in the scriptures. Look in John chapter 5, it says this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and it's they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I can just imagine some of the disciples or these two guys walking on the road thinking, I remember Jesus saying something like this. I remember him saying that all the scriptures were testifying about me. And suddenly this disappointment turns from disappointment into clarity and they're beginning to understand they're beginning to say, okay, maybe, maybe all these things were necessities. His suffering, was it not necessary for him to suffer so that not only would we understand, but we would see that Christ had suffered in our place for sins. Maybe he had explained that all of those sacrifices, the scapegoat and the heifers and the goats and everything that had to die, was all pointing to this one great sacrifice that would speak a better word for all time and for everyone who would trust in him. Maybe they were saying, whoa, this is the Lamb of God who's poured out his blood for the sins of the world. And suddenly they see the necessity of the cross. And they see his glory because in this moment of suffering, it is the most glorious. And when I say glory, it just means that suddenly it's coming to light who God really is. That's what's glorious about it. His greatest act of mercy on display. It was necessi- It was a necessity to demonstrate his mercy. It was a necessity to demonstrate his love. That Christ would suffer in our place. The greatest demonstration of love for all time, this true Redeemer of Israel, is that Christ would die in their place for their sins. And for all of you who believe, this is the necessity of the cross. That when we look back on it, we don't just see it as as an absolute crime, which it was and is. But it was a necessity for all of us who would believe to be made right with God. And so Christ is explaining this to them, and then he explains his glory. Maybe this moment that they've despised would become the most important moment of all history. The moment that made them wonder in disappointment and in fear and confusion would become the moment that defines the rest of their future. This glorious moment. And so before I move on from this, from him drawing near and opening the word, I just want to point out a few things for you today, okay? Jesus not only draws near to them, but he draws near to everyone in this room who's thinking about him and talking about him, who's having conversations and discussions of who he is and what he does. He's drawing near in your disappointment where you say, we had hoped. For all the places that we say we had hoped that Jesus would come through in this way, he draws near and sometimes he confronts and sometimes he corrects, but he's explaining to us today, what am I doing? What's the necessity of suffering and for the glory that would come? He not only draws near in our conversations and sees our disappointment, he understands our sadness much better than we even understand it ourselves. And that's ultimately what he's saying to these guys. Look, you think you're sad. I'm the guy who walked through the suffering. In their stillness and sadness, he began to explain to them what they could not understand for themselves. And when Jesus opens our mind to his word like this, he's going to confront every corner where we're foolish and slow of heart to believe. And he's not just going to confront, but he's going to invite us into this correction where we get to see the joy of his salvation. Where he really loves us. The real glory of communion with him. The relational pattern of communion with him and confrontation and correction where he invites us to walk with him and he shows us the necessity of his suffering for every way that we've fallen short of his glory for every way his response to those falling is is that he's provided everything that we need through his sacrifice he shows us the necessity and his provision in all of it he's declaring for everyone who would believe this is the gift to you it's not just a disappointment this is my glory and for everyone who trusts in it, when God opens our eyes to these things, does our heart not burn within us? Do we not long for it to be true? That for everyone who believes, we, we long for this in the same way that these men, when they look back on it, they said, did our hearts not burn within us? when he talked to us on the road while he opened up the scriptures to us, when someone opens God's word and they describe it, how I long for that experience where I know, Christ, you're telling me these things. It's not because of the communicator. It's because you've communicated yourself to us through your word. And so it wasn't just because it was Jesus. Now, that was supernatural, right? Jesus is not revealing himself. But the reality is he opened the scriptures to them. That's the confidence that we have. That's when our hearts open up and we say, yes, Lord, yes to these things. Yes, it's true, it's true, it's true. And then let's consider, as their hearts burned, how did they respond to Jesus? The first thing they did in verse 28, they got near to the village. Jesus acts like he's going to keep going. In verse 29, it says, they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it's towards evening and the day is now far spent. Maybe they're worried. They're like, look, it's getting dark out here. You don't need to keep going. We've been going for seven miles. You need to stay here with us. Maybe they're just hearing him and saying, this man speaks with a different kind of authority and we want him to stick around. Maybe he'll bless the meal because that's what he does. (laughs) In other words, they're saying more, more, more. Their first response to Jesus is, I want more of that. I want that. Whatever he has, this confidence, this truth, the way that he explains things, it's different. And they wanted it. They urged him to stay. And Jesus acted, at least, like he was going to go further. (laughs) He's like, I'm going to keep going. No, 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 no! please stay with us. It's getting late. And they invite Jesus to stay. Some of you are at that point today where you'd say, hey, I don't know about this, but I'm interested in knowing more. Some of you are at that point where where there's an opportunity for you to invite Jesus just to stay with you, to sit, because he loves it. He loves it when we long for more of him. He loves it when we hunger and thirst for righteousness. He loves that. He blesses it. When we long to see him as he is and to enjoy him as he is, he responds with, okay, I'm going to stick around for that. He loves it. He enjoys that. And if Today, God is presenting himself to you alive in the same way that he presented himself to them alive. And he opens their eyes when he blesses the food. And suddenly they see him and suddenly he vanishes. But if that's you today and you're seeing for the first time that this is the true and living God and he's opening your eyes, praise be to God. There's an invitation to stay and he always responds to that invitation. It says that he will in no way cast them out that come to him. So if you're coming to him and and desiring of more of him, he wants to reveal himself to you. And there's a difference, though. Before I move on, there's a difference in knowing about God and knowing God. Do you know that? There's a difference between the topics of their conversation and this moment when they recognize that he's with them. It's a substantial difference. We must not worship one over the other, our experiences over knowledge, but we must worship God himself, okay? Here's a little warning for those of you who love just conversations, maybe more than you love Jesus himself. Little warning, God's not against theology, he's making himself known through the word, but he's more interested in you experiencing him. He loves theological clarity. But if you're here today and you're thinking, "Hey, this gathering makes no sense. I don't know who they're singing to or singing about. If our prayers and worship make no sense," not everyone's eyes have been opened. That's what I want to. I, I want to tell you: if something in my word sounds clear, but you're not quite sure yet, and I sound like the peanuts teacher, wah, wah 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 wah. If that's you today, my prayer for you is that your eyes would be opened, because for some of us, our eyes have been opened and our hearts yearn for Christ. We recognize him for who he is. And their response is not only seeing him for who he is and inviting him to say, once they recognize who he is, it meant action for them. Look at verse 33. They rose the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon seven miles. Now, can y'all imagine this? They walk seven miles. They get there. They're like, We're hungry. So they have a meal. And as soon as they recognize Jesus, they're like, we gotta go back. Seven more miles, okay? For those of you who are from here, that's like walking to the Madison Airport, okay? You walk from here up Old Canton Road, and you get there, and you're like, okay, I think we need to go back. They turn around, and they start heading back. They rose the very same hour. So I don't know how late it was, because it said the first time it was getting late in the day, but they walked seven miles more. And maybe they're walking back because they thought, look, these people were confused when we left them. There were reports that Jesus might be alive. We got to tell these people. We've got to respond to their confusion. Maybe the night before they had walked, they had decided, we're going to walk away because look, we got to keep moving on with our life. This is a terrible disappointment. But if they were walking in sadness and disappointment on the way away, they're walking back with gladness in their hearts, saying, We have got a really good message to tell all those people waiting and wondering in confusion back in that room. We have got really good news. And so they respond not only to seeing Jesus with joy, but they go back to tell people who might be wondering. There was a need, confusion. Some of you know people right now who are on the verge of confusion, and they're thinking, I don't know what to think. And if you're sure of this, God has given you a surety, not just for yourself. He gives you a message for those who might need to know him. The joy that they had in their own eyes of the risen Savior had to be dispersed to those who might need to know and then they shared something really incredible with the people. They walk in. <laughs> now, maybe they're anticipating the whole way back. The two of them are talking about it. They're like, I can't wait to tell them. They're going to be so excited to hear this. And they walk in the door, and they're like, hey, guys, guess what? Jesus has appeared to Peter. And they're like, wait, we, that's what we came to tell y'all. Like, that's our message. We were here to say it. Nonetheless, let's just tell you the story about our story. We saw it too. We saw him too. The amazing fellowship that must have been had in that moment. Don't you wish you could have just been a fly on the wall? For everyone in the room who's going, I cannot believe it's true. Jesus has risen from the dead. They moved from receiving his message to receiving him and seeing this man is alive. It changed everything about their experience. And so they got together with some other disciples, which is what people typically do if they know Jesus. If you've recognized that he's alive today, you're like, i got to get with some other people who also believe this because it's unbelievable. i got to be around some people that also agree that this man is alive. So their response was to get up, take the message back, get together with those who had already seen that Jesus was alive. And they're sitting there telling stories, saying, man, I was walking along the road. Listen what he said about this. Listen what he said about this. They begin sharing their response. And so in conclusion today, here's what I want you to know. Jesus is still alive, and he's still drawing near to everyone who will believe. He draws near to all who will seek after him. That's the truth of God's word. And so I have two questions today in, in conclusion. The first one is this. Have your eyes been opened to him? Do you see his nearness? Because, look, you can be in proximity to this truth, and it does not equal understanding. You can be all around it. It can be taught to you from the day you were born to the day that you die, and you can never experience the risen Jesus Christ. You can miss it. So I'm pleading with you, are your eyes opened to him? Because proximity doesn't mean understanding. Here's the other thing. Even after Jesus explained all these things to them, their eyes still wasn't open to seeing who he was in their midst. Do you understand his suffering and glory? Listen, understanding does not mean recognition. It doesn't. Because they understood it. He's explaining it to them and they're like, man, this man, he seems to be speaking truth. But still their eyes hadn't been opened to who he was. Their hearts even yearned and burned for the things he was explaining. And still they were blind to see him. And here's what I'd say. There's some of you who are so close and there's this thin veil between Knowing the things about God, knowing and, 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 and agreeing, yes, that's true, and knowing the risen Christ. Do you know him personally? Have your eyes been opened to see him as alive today? Have you seen him? Many of you have probably heard of a mathematician, famous mathematician and philosopher of the 17th century, Blaise Pascal. When he was a young man, his father was going through an illness, and so there were people that were operating on his father who were believers, and they had shared Christ with him, and he came to an intellectual ascent. This is true. And so he converts intellectually, but after his father died, he drifts away. And then there's this moment when he's older. It's late one night, and he writes about it in his room in his journal, It's Monday, the 23rd of November, and this is what he wrote. From about half past 10 at night until about half past midnight for two hours. This is how he describes it. Fire. (laughs) Fire. Space, space, space. He describes this experience like this. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. Not of the philosophers and of the learned certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God, your God be my God, forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God, he is the, he is only found by the ways taught in the gospel, grandeur of the human soul, righteous father, the world has not known you, but I have known you, joy, 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 tears of joy, This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. That's a quote from John 17, by the way. That's in Jesus' high priest prayer. When he describes, if you know me, it's this, it's knowing this is eternal life, that you know me, the one that Jesus Christ, the one that God has sent. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, I left him, I fled him, I renounced and crucified. Let me never be separated from him. He is only kept securely by the ways taught in the gospel renunciation, total and sweet, complete submission to Jesus Christ and to my director. Eternally, enjoy for a day's exercise on the earth. May I not forget your words. Amen. So he wrote these things out on this day. And he would consider this day his true conversion, not his intellectual conversion, but something happened. And this is how he described it. He wrote it out. He rips the piece of paper out, and he sews it into his coat on the inside of his coat so he would never forget the moment that he was transformed by the presence of God. That piece of paper wasn't discovered until his death. They opened it up. He went on to leave philosophy mathematics. He was the first person to invent a calculator. He leaves all of that behind and he begins writing apologetics. He writes two really important books of apologetics describing what it's like to truly believe in the risen Christ. For him, it changed everything. This transformation happened after he had intellectually said, this is true. Something else happened to him. Fire. That's how he described it. And some of you, maybe your hearts have never burned for these things. You've never longed for these things to be true. And maybe today the Holy Spirit is waking up your dead heart and bringing you to life. God is inviting us to see him and to know him, to draw near to him, because he's drawing near to us in our disappointment, in our pain. He sees all of it. He understands it better than we could. And he will redefine your hope. That's what he did for these people. So we had hoped he was going to do this, and suddenly in this moment, their eyes are opened and their hope is redefined. It's transformed. Second question I have for you is how will you respond to him? How do you respond? How do you respond? Jesus is still presenting himself alive today. Some of you are like these disciples that were all (laughs) close together, and they're all telling stories like, what in the world are happening? Like, we just need to walk over to Emmaus. Who knows what demanded their attention in Emmaus, but it left all the disciples behind. They walked away. As soon as they saw Christ, you know what they did? They said, we got to get back with those folks. We got to get back with the people who are wondering and believing. So some of you, today is an invitation to respond and return. With the mission and message of Jesus Christ, and not only with the mission and message, but with worship. Can you imagine their joy as they shared together? This Christ, he is indeed alive. So they return to the fellowship, they return to praise, they return to this mission of telling others. And I love this community that that you can imagine. Everyone in the room is going, we had longed for this to be true. We hoped this would be true. And now they're experiencing joy in it and delight and praise. C.S. Lewis describes praise like this. We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It's an appointed consummation. It is not out of compliment that lovers keep on telling one another how beautiful they are. The delight is incomplete until it's expressed. In other words, it's saying... If there's some joy that you have and you have not yet expressed it in Christ, some of you may have tasted and seen that God is good, but our response to him, our response with one another to express this praise, it completes the joy that we've had. And if you've never expressed it and said, yes, I do see, yes, my eyes are opened, yes, God is able, he's triumphed in all those ways, your joy is incomplete. It hasn't come to full fruition And so the the return to this group of people, it completed the joy because they had something to say. They had a story to tell, and some of you have stories to tell, and you've never shared it. You've never expressed the great reality that Jesus Christ had presented himself alive to you. And so in this room, can you imagine the mutual joy when they express their praise? Now, one practical way to respond to this today is that you get together with some other believers and you just start talking about God's word and you invite God to show up in that space, okay? That's like a really practical way. Get together with somebody else who believes Jesus really is alive and just start talking about his word. And I promise you, in the midst, it's not every time, but a lot of times your heart begins to burn because God shows up in the midst of it. Really practical way that we can do this is get together in people's houses and just talk about the Bible together. It's really simple. Next week we're starting a sermon series in First Thessalonians. We have two small groups right now that exist. Okay, we need a lot more. We need people to. We have one that sh- that's on Zoom, and if you're interested in doing that, it's on Sunday mornings on Zoom, so you can attend that from wherever you live. No demands on the travel time. We have another group that happens on Sunday nights in Eastover. And there's a bookmark on your way out. It has every passage that we're about to walk through in 1 Thessalonians and seven questions for you to talk through with somebody else. We're, We're launching back groups, okay? So if you're interested in leading a group or attending a group, we would love to give you information about the two that exist, and we'd love to help you start a new one because we need as many groups as possible sitting down, talking about God's Word. That's a practical way that we might respond. Just sit down and talk about God's Word with somebody else who believes. So, today, my hope for us is that in every way that God has not shown up yet to to you as alive, that he would unveil your eyes, that you would see him as living, as among us, and that you'd respond with with rejoicing because he's alive. Well, let's bow and pray to that end. Father, thank you so much for your word today. I pray that this truth, this true story about you presenting yourself alive, would come alive to us today, that we would see you and our hearts would respond with joy, that we'd go wherever you call us to go, no matter how far it is, to bring this message, this good news that you really are alive, that you, your suffering was necessary and your glory is eternal. It is majestic. And Lord, I pray that today we would celebrate you in a way that honors your sacrifice. I pray that we would sing songs of praise lift you high, and exalt your name, and that in the midst of that, you would draw near to us as we draw near to you. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.